Welcome, friends. It is time for another Tokenomics, and this is such an exciting episode. I uh, can't tell you I've been up since five in the morning. I was so excited about this recording today. Uh, we have two amazing guests here uh, returning to the podcast, someone who's been gone so long they're not a host anymore. They're just a guest now. No, I'm just <laughs> goofing on you. Anton, welcome back. It's good to see you. Hey, hey, then it's good to be back. And uh, yeah, it's been a, been a bit of a summer break from from DOF, but um, I think we got some exciting stuff cooking for the cooking for the fall fall season. So I'm um, happy to be back and uh, reclaim my my position as a co-host yeah. of this show. Yeah. For for today, uh, since between you and our other mystery guest, I'm this is an ex- this is going to be the most selfish episode of tokenomics yet. So that's why you're a guest. Next time you'll be uh, a, a host again. Um, Anton, of course, is at uh, Play Ventures, where he invests in uh, Web3 and other gaming ventures. And we're joined by friend of the podcast and a voice you're probably familiar with, Nico from the Metacast is here. Hello and welcome, Nico. Thank you, Ethan. Um, big fan of what you, Anton, and the other people at DOF do. Um, and, uh, yeah, super excited to be here. It is one of my favorite topics, which is, you know, the intersection of blockchain and gaming and all the opportunities there. Um, and happy to grill <laughs> you a bit and, um, talk about what you're building and, and uh, I'm, I'm building pitch decks mostly these days. <laughs> I've, I've been working mm. on one it's, story, it's part of it, just refining it for like three weeks, four weeks in a row right now. Um, so I'll leave it that mysterious, but, um, mm. Today, as I said, it's extremely selfish topic. Um, why I wanted to get two investors, two experts in, in Web3 gaming together and two of the people who are on top of my list of people that I'm going to be bothering sometime next year and, and begging for money to help make my dreams come true is that in in this world where uh, we're, we're through the frenzy, right? It's no longer... The crazy times of crypto, though I'm sure more bubble and frenzy and FOMO and, you know, giant fun uh, raises will, will happen. But we're now in more of a somber crypto winter, a lot of bears hibernating, a lot of people biding their time. And I just wanted to know, um, because it's not like no deals are being done, plenty of deals are still being done. And I just wanted to talk to two experts um, and learn kind of what the landscape is like for myself and the other uh, gaming Web3 entrepreneurs out there. Any Wonder is a well-funded stealth mode startup looking for a lead game engineer to help build wonderful Web3 worlds. Client, server, or full stack, it doesn't matter. So long as you're an experienced game dev who loves getting dirt under their fingernails, then you could be a match for us. If you're excited about joining a fully remote startup on the ground floor, and making a massive impact on the future of the games industry, then reach out at anywonder.xyz slash join. That's anywonder.xyz slash join, and let us know why you're ready for something wonderful. So um, why don't we start, Nico and Anton, if you could each take a turn just telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, the firms you work at and your experience in the games industry and the uh, venture industry, because you do both. Go ahead. Shall I start? All right, I'll go. Um, I 
have a background in the crypto space. So I've been building businesses in crypto uh, for about five years now. First on, on the DeFi side, then I attempted to build a crypto payments company, which we ultimately had to pivot away from crypto payments because mm -hmm. people don't want to pay with crypto. It's more of a speculative investment, which is a recurring theme, it seems. Um, and so then ended up focusing on um, the intersection of crypto and my lifelong passion, which was video games. Um, I like to learn in public. And so got in touch with the people at Navic who were like, hey, we are also interested in doing this podcast thing. Um, and so that's where I got my start. And then last year, um, I was looking to formalize my investment practice because I was investing on my own a bit, which is one of the advantages of, you know, being in crypto as a, as a solo, you know, nobody, you can actually get involved with some of these projects. Um, I found the, the Bitcraft team, they asked me to join their crypto team and, um, you know, it was a you know, perfect fit for me. So bit about Bitcraft, Bitcraft is a, um, now five-year-old gaming focused early stage VC. So we partner with founders um, that are building game studios, game related infrastructure, um, or something we call applied game mechanics. So that are using mechanics that are found within games to build other business businesses. Um, and we help them through our experience um, funding, obviously, um, our connections to, to make their business successful. Um, last year, Bitcraft started or launched a token fund where we um, with which we invest in, you know, Web3 gaming related projects, um, perhaps like, you know, the one that you will or will describe <laughs> later, Ethan. Uh, when the mics are off. Um, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, when the mics are off. Um, and then, you know, I'm very passionate about this space. Recently launched a DAO called the Future of Gaming DAO that attempts to share best practices around how this Web3 can, technology can be used to build better more immersive, um, more fun, awesome. interactive experiences. And Anton, how about you? Yeah, a quick recap. So, so um, also a VC. I'm a, I'm an investor with Play Ventures, uh, an early stage early stage VC fund focused on on gaming. I initially joined the firm in early 2019 as a, as a venture partner to focus on or work on investments part time with the founders of Play. Uh, joined to actually focus on on their first blockchain gaming investments and led the first in, firm's first investment in the space in early 2019 uh, while doing my own entrepreneurial stint uh, on the crypto side. Uh, sometime before that, uh, during my university years, I co-founded a pre-seed investment firm with the same co-founders that I later started a company with that was backed by the founders of Supercell, Skype, and some other Nordic entrepreneurs where we did sector agnostic investing with our team, but I was then mainly focused on the gaming sector due to a big personal passion uh, and also due to the strong mobile game scene here in Helsinki. And um, kept on investing with the play team, uh, joined the team later uh, full-time as well to fully focus on investing. Uh, and um, we were kind of well well in place when, uh, when the crypto gaming wave uh, started taking off and uh, uh, joined joined to to create plays first dedicated uh fund to focus on the intersection of of crypto and gaming together with kendrick who joined us from uh, from a DeFi focused fund where he had been investing into the space space for the past four years before before setting up the uh the new play fund uh, our roots are very much in gaming for most of the team coming from uh, the free to play studio side 
also from the game infrastructure side uh, experience on the entrepreneurial part and also now combining also some op operational and investment expertise from the crypto side to, to bring this together to create a good match to invest in the space. Uh, twofold investment strategy in a way where uh, we've been investing in studios for a long time and that's something we, we also continue to do with the, with the crypto fund. Uh, we still believe that that sort of a lot of the value in gaming will be captured by by the studios that builds the game that build the game the games themselves and and the infrastructure we invest in is to is to kind of maximize the chances of those those studios generating big hits uh, where we can be where we can be of support uh, and um, I think the, the underlying thesis and the biggest goal is that the next big uh, and most importantly fun game uh, will come from from founders that are operating in this space. Great. Thank you guys so much for that intro. I just, you know, as I was listening to this, you know, my first experience and it was such a, a wipeout, I would, I would barely call it a founding experience, but you know, 12 years ago when I left EA with, with one other person who I'd worked with for a long time to try and start a gaming technology startup, the world of venture capital was very opaque. There were not a lot of sources that we could go to learn, uh, to network, to meet people, to even understand what the wants and needs and business model of people on the other side of the equation were um, in venture and also like uh, firms that focused and specialized in gaming. Um, there were so few of them, you know, it was just, it was more of a, leaving a corporation and just kind of hoping that magic would happen with absolutely no ability to, 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 to understand or penetrate that world. And I've just really enjoyed, you know, the podcasts I've done with you, Anton, and, and the chance to get to learn and Nico listening to yours and, and appearing once or twice, like the inside look and, and the, um, just as an aspiring entrepreneur, it's really valuable, right. To, to understand um, what people are looking for in these types of partnerships and what the business models and personalities and, and just, I, I feel so much more, um, capable of tackling the problem now than I did 10 years ago, right? 10 years ago, it just seemed like, well, I'm not, I'm not someone who is a senior vice president at electronic arts. I don't know anyone on the board of directors of any companies, how am I ever going to even get meetings with these people? And what do I say when I get there? And those things are still true about me, right? I've, I've spent an additional 10 years making games, but I still haven't been a senior vice president of electronic arts. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I, I haven't substantially changed what I've done. Um, but my ability to understand your world and to meet you guys and, and people like you and, um, it's really it's it's really changed the landscape and the feel of what it means to be an, an early stage entrepreneur. So just thank you so much for for coming on the podcast and sharing more, because um, I know that there are a lot of aspiring game game entrepreneurs in the audience. Um, just just for a little bit of context, what are some of the Web three game investments that your funds have been a part of? Just so that we we know um, whose names and who what companies we can associate with. Uh, Bitcraft and with play because we've had some of them on the podcast and talked about them and um, just to help the audience get to know you a little better. So 
from our end, um, we have a bunch, so you can go to bitcraft.vc, see our portfolio there. Um, some names, I'm just scrolling through the, through the uh, list, some names that people might know, Crypto Unicorns is one, uh, Block Lords is one, but we've also invested mm -hmm. in Immutable, um, the, the layer two scaling solution. Um, Horizon Blockchain Games is another one. They're building Skyweaver and Sequence, which is wallet software. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, these are a few names that, uh, that come to mind, but there's a, there's a number of others. And on our end, uh, on the infrastructure side, probably the ones that are recognizable are investors in, in the NFT marketplace, Fractal. Uh, we're also investors in, uh, in a borrowing and lending protocol for NFTs called ReNFT. Uh, and also we're actively invested into, into different data products in this space, both in the visualization side, but also in the data aggregation side. Uh, on the studio side, um, some of the names that come to mind, uh, Block Tackle, based out of the U.S., working on uh, working on their debut title, Skatex, um, and um, Azure Games, recently revealed Legions and Legends uh, and, and their upcoming Mint, uh, and also a company we've been working with for a long time uh, in Spain, Champion Games, working on their debut title, Meta Soccer, as well. So these are just some of the some of the names in our portfolio. And similarly to, to what Nico said, the full portfolio is available on our website for anyone to check it out. Should we uh, should we mention Playmint? Of course, yeah. We probably should. But, but <laughs> so that's a, that's the shared investment that's... we have with uh, with Nico. So invested in David Amor's yeah. uh, latest yeah. startup, uh, Playmint. Awesome, great. Um, so let's start here. Um, when when your firms have invested in the past in web3 gaming ventures are they um you know you give money and you get something back and uh traditionally that's been equity and part of what's been different about the web3 model is sometimes it's just tokens so people raising used to be raising uh, on a SAFE, now a SAFT, right? Simple agreement for equity, now simple agreement for tokens. Um, have your investments been um, equity, tokens, a mixture of both? Like, how are you, um, what do you, in the past, like during the, the crypto frenzy, what did, what did the deals look like? Um, I'd say... Yeah, do you want to go first? Or I can. Uh... So I was going to go first, give my limited view. You have more experience in this stuff than I do, Anton, so that you can then add uh, your perspective. So, you know, during the, the frenzy of 12 months ago, um, we generally mm -hmm. did more tokens. Um, we did a, a handful of only token investments, um, which is something that, for example, now we would likely move away from. Right, I think tokens can be super powerful. Um, it's a very easy way to um, accrue value and to share that value with the community, um, but it also poses some risks. There's fewer regulatory frameworks built around tokens, and so for that reason, for that reason, what we currently usually do is go for equity um, with a token warrant. We can also have a discussion about when should you issue tokens and start issuing tokens as a as a as a company. Um, this is another discussion. We tend to suggest that teams do this um, later rather than earlier, right now, because of all the negative implication a, mm -hmm. a crashing token price can have. Um, and so, 
what we usually now do is um, equity investments with token warrants. So there's a deal for future tokens. So um, just to make sure I understand that term, uh, let's just imagine, because I I think I understand what a token warrant is, which is, um, but correct me if I'm wrong. So you might say, you know, Ethan Co., uh, we make an agreement that you're going to give me one million dollars for twenty five percent of the company. That's an equity investment. And then is a token warrant at the same time signing a deal that says in the future, in the instance where you release a token that is now do you specify like a governance token or a utility or do you just say when you uh launch a token, we have the right to buy a a preset percentage of the token issuance for a preset price is that what the warrant is essentially basically yeah so basically yeah so generally yes without going too much into legalese but it's about it's not an obligation uh but a right to to then buy that Mm -hmm. asset for uh for a certain price before the expiration date but um i would generally i would concur with nico there uh and um without having to make uh an Xbox 360 joke. I think we've sort of gotten back to to sort of where we also started before, uh, before the Web3 <laughs> craze in the gaming space. I think similarly to Nico, we saw a lot of, of token-only raises. Uh, for us, I think it has more to do with what the team is building uh, and, and, and that being the defining factor, whether it makes sense for us to participate in a token sale or, or doing an equity investment with, with uh, token warrants. So... And and I would also say generally that the industry has gone back now to the point where where the, the baseline is that if your product is not live, then you raise a traditional equity investment in the company. Uh, as um, VCs, including us, are generally we are comfortable with illiquid investments, but you have a you have also this slew of Web three specific investors that really they really value the the early liquidity of some of these assets that they're yeah. investing in. But that, as Nico mentioned, comes with a lot of trade-offs as well, which we can get also into a bit later in this discussion. But getting back to, you know, why we would choose an equity investment over a direct token investment, I would say in the, in the, in the cases where we would do a direct token investment, and if we look at our portfolio, it's been in the situations where the team is building a protocol where the whole product and the whole company will be kind of encapsulated in that, in that network protocol, which is then launched. Uh, and and if, if the main net is live, the token is out there, then it makes all the sense for us to be invested in that token because that's essentially going to be, it's the whole product. It's what captures the value of the activity on that network. Uh, and um, that's also the, and, and even though, so, so if we would invest in that company before the before the network is live, then we would likely invest in the company as, as was the case with, with big DeFi protocols such as uh, Uniswap or or compound where these started out as mm-hmm. these kind of labs companies that were typical Delaware C corporations uh, with these token rights. So essentially when, when these protocols went live on mainnet and they launched their tokens, these tokens were distributed to the founders, the investors, and essentially the shareholders of the company, uh, making the company redundant over time because the company didn't have, mm-hmm. have any more role. It doesn't have governance over, over that network protocol anymore at that point. When it comes to invest, so this this would be the case for re-NFT, for example, which is a protocol for for uh, for renting out NFTs. The whole product exists on that protocol, and everything in terms of governance, economic rights are tied to the tokens of that <clears throat> tokens of that protocol. When it comes to a game studio, I think some um, there are some sort of 
laws, if you will, that I still think hold true, which, which mean that it might not be your first game that is going to be the definite hit of that studio. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so look, I think look as, no as, further than Supercell. Exactly. Uh, and, if and you I, only I th- invested in, in Supercell's first game, you would have invested in a unsuccessful Facebook game. I mean, it was it was good at its time, but it was not a giant business. It was really the move to mobile and the move to free-to-play where Supercell became the best mobile game developer in the entire world, uh, maybe tied for a, a Genshin Impact MiHoYo at this point, but... You know, on a on a per person basis, I don't think there's a single game company that makes as much revenue per headcount as Supercell. It's just monumental. And if you had only invested in their um, was it Compass Point, whatever their their Western Facebook game is, you would have missed out on Clash, basically, right? Yeah, for sure. So so I I think I think that's still. Potentially holds true. We don't know, but I think that's the approach we're taking with these studios. That we we are long-term investors in the studios. We can handle the illiquidity of the stock of those companies. Investing in 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 the future portfolio of games they'll be developing, and then what the token warrant allows us to do is that we get our share of of of, of each token issuance that these companies do in the future. So if they launch if they launch three games, we have. Um, uh, we have exposure to to all of those uh, token pools that are launched for those games. Naturally, like each studio is different. It might be that one studio finds a game that they're going to work on for ten years, and that'll basically take up the whole whole studio's capabilities, which would be very likely for for a PC studio or or, or something mm-hmm. that's that's more mid core or on 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 the, on the hardcore spectrum. But but I think we're looking to have exposure to a multitude of different genres and categories uh, in gaming. And, and, and those are different for each studio. But, and the other part is also that if you're only a token investor or token holder, there are very limited ways to exercise governance to these companies. And I think even though investors hopefully are not looking to be control freaks in these companies, uh, it's still, um, they're still managing uh, other people's money, a lot of pension money also being managed in the space yeah. nowadays. So there needs to be some fail. There need to be some fail safes in control for, for investors, and 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 those are only exercisable if if we do, or if if we are able to exercise some governance over these companies. Right, and uh, a good example of of what you mean by that is like, let's say that uh, you guys, I convinced you guys to uh, fund a company where I was the um, the owner of it, and you put $2 million in a bank account um, in exchange for tokens, um, it, it, and you had no governance rights, right? If I um, uh, had a, a horrible midlife crisis and decided that I was going to become a DJ and not a game developer and started using that money... Um, to try and become the next Diplo, right? If you were token holders, you would have no ability to fire me and take your money back. Whereas if there was a board of directors and all three of us are on it and there's a bank account with $2 million on it and I start saying, yeah, we're pivoting to EDM, you would just have a phone call and say, "Uh, so we're going to fire Ethan, right? And take back the money and, and dissolve the company. And then you'd say yes. And, and that's how you protect yourself from, you know, 
the uh, uh, variability of who knows what people will do, mm-hmm. right? We might find some middle ground if you pitch to something that's, or you pivot to something <laughs> that, or, or you pivot to something that's EDM compatible. But um, no, but all jokes. Right. Um, <laughs> oh. oh my god. <laughs> That was really but, good. Uh, but no, but no. Generally, Ethan, yes, you, you're correct. So generally, you'd be you'd be looking if, if it's a SAFT setup, uh, very limited uh, mm-hmm. options to do to do any governance. But um, but um, when we go into being a part of that company, uh, those mechanisms are in place. And it, it's also not only just downsides, but you you in my experience, you generally get also much more involved investors that way because um, they are inherently they they care about the whole company and not, not only one product. Uh, and um, and also from the perspective of of you know just general stability of your company and, and, and product that if you if you offer a large pool of, of tokens for example to private investors and, and their vesting schedules are relatively short in, at least in my experience the vesting I've seen for tokens is generally much shorter shorter than it is for equity which is a bit of a it's a it's a bit of a weird situation given that it's it's so much more potentially so much more liquid uh, and um, I think we've already seen that it can have pretty detrimental. Uh, effects on a on a company or a product if um if there are a number of people that are able to so to speak dump their holdings uh, yeah. before before any product is live because then essentially all 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 the, the the price feed of your company is driven by market sentiment and not not how well your product is doing uh so so i think this first wave of companies and this fir- this first wave of token sales is is going to be an important uh, important education for any founder in the space, sort of how, how not to do it and potentially finding also those sort of good ways to structure it. But I think even in, even from that perspective, we've tried to take a longer term approach and having these practices in place already from last year, uh, as I'm, I think that's something we discussed very early on with our team that, that sort of, there are some, probably some not eternal truths, but some truths from, from, from a web two startup investing that still hold true in this space too. Yeah. As we've moved from crypto frenzy to crypto winter, are the conversations happening inside of the VC firms about whether to invest in a company significantly different, right? I can, I'm imagining that whether you chose to bite or not during the frenzy period, there were probably a lot of times where someone messaged you or one of the other partners on Telegram and was like, we are closing around in 24 hours. These are the terms, take it or leave it. And you may have taken that seriously and may not have. And uh, it pans out. And then 24 hours later, you know, you learn that they just raised $100 million on that crazy, you know, telegram threat, basically, of a, of a, of a fundraising attempt. And I'm guessing that uh, that sort of thing was happening and probably is not happening nowadays, um, that it, it um, now that the frenzy has died down, that it's much more fundamental, you know, even the people who were biting on those things probably aren't anymore. So that's, that's what I'm imagining happened. I'm curious inside of these two very smart, respectable firms with well-grounded, experienced people, is what was it like? evaluating deals um during during the frenzy and how is how have things changed um as as div- as uh, investors are kind of forced to get more sober so for us last year um it's it's important to always keep in mind that our job is mm-hmm. that we're investors which means that we have almost an obligation to deploy 
And so it's, it's almost not an option for us to just sit on the sidelines because we think and we believe that, you know, given our experience, deals are too mm -hmm. expensive and just don't make sense. Um, and so, you know, we, um, you know, we, we have to adjust to, to the market, right? Um, and so th there's, there's no like right valuation um, irrespective of, of other valuations around that. Um, so we always need to take that into account. Today, I see that there's mm -hmm. less urgency. So it's clear that founders uh, have been realizing that, you know, if they send me a telegram text with a 24 hour deadline, I'm, I'm having a good laugh. I'll share it with my team so we can all have a good laugh. <laughs> You'd be like, then, ah, uh, I knew Ethan a, was a, a fucking idiot. Note. And now he proved it. <laughs> yeah. Ethan was like, dude, you're, you're like testing all of your strategies now. Like just, will they buy it for this? Um, anyway, so, but I, I do think that there's still very, very mm. competitive rounds out there. Um, if you, for example, yeah. look at the, the limit break, limit break deal, right? 200 million, obviously they've been building for a while. Um, but these are deals that are competitive. Um, these are proven founders that have a proven ability to build games that monetize in line with the opportunities yeah. that Web3 bring. I, I don't um, know a brings. company whose games I've studied more and learned more from than Gabe Layden and Machine Zone. And because yeah, I, I worked yeah. in a in a high LTV, you know, uh, hardcore audience genre, that's, I had to study the best. So it makes sense that someone or a, a team with that pedigree and that experience, they know so much I don't know, right? So th that, that sort of deal didn't, does make sense to me. Yeah. And so in conclusion, I think the last thing I, I, I'll, I'll say is that um, over the past year, next to studio and, and, and company fundraises, we've also seen a bunch mm -hmm. of fund fundraises, right? And there's still yeah. a shit ton of capital to deploy there. So the, 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 the funds are there. And I think the strong teams will, you know, find a way to partner with, with the right, um, the right funds and, and the right investors. Yeah. Just adding to that. So hopeful for you. Yeah. Just Ethan. adding to that. Um, I tend to agree with all of Nico's comments and, and, um, definitely it was, um, as a firm that has been in gaming for some time and um, still trying to exercise some um, sort of strictness also around pricing and, and the entry price mm -hmm. of what we come into the company. Because at the end of the day, uh, as something that's even not maybe clear to everyone, but, but VCs rarely invest their own money, but, but it's mostly about structuring and, and structuring other people's capital, investing that, as Nico mentioned, over a strict time period. And, there, and we have a mandate to, to invest within this specific time frame, for example. So there is a constant pressure to deploy capital. Uh, and um, and it's, I would agree that it's, it's always a bit weird to see that somebody just stops investing completely or slows down. It's understandable, though, if, if the fund's investment period, so, so the sort of the, the primary time of when they invest in new companies, and if that is over and they only invest in, in the existing portfolio. But... But it rarely happens that that's, that's solely the case. Usually there's always an ongoing fund that, that keeps investing. Right. Um, I would say similar to Bitcraft, we've been, we've been keeping up the pace, almost increasing it also in a way. I think what we struggled with last year was really, really with entry pricing to some of the deals. Um, at the end of the day, we want to make a great return on our investments. Uh, and um, 
and have to be somewhat conservative also in looking at, at sort of previous valuations within gaming and really evaluating the can we make a meaningful return on some of these investments uh, coupled with uh, much much smaller allocations available for each individual investors as there was a big trend of doing these party rounds last year uh, for visibility and having a lot of logos like to show 30... when you go for you. 30 investors exactly and and i i think mm-hmm. i think we're again going a bit back to, to doing doing smaller runs with maybe two or three investors involved i think the founders are also noticing that they get a lot more investor attention the more in the more the investor has skin in the game uh so so as a founder my recommendation to founders my recommendation would be to to make sure that the investors joining around ha- have a meaningful stake uh, in what they're investing in because that's automatic it, human nature it's going it's to result in more uh, more active participation uh, within that company um, additionally what's changed there was a big influx of capital that previously did not chase gaming deals uh, and and um, that capital then mm-hmm. came into the market last year with a lot of new funds also not only existing funds raising new funds but you had a lot of outside funds also looking at gaming again or Seeing Web three games as this kind of new way of investing into gaming, so so you have a lot you had a lot of money going after those deals, naturally pumping up the valuations, etc. But now, I think I wouldn't say it's unfair that the pricing has gone down. I'd say it's, they are more close to realistic valuations uh, for these companies, and yeah. uh, for us, it's a tremendously exciting exciting time to invest because also what I think is a is a very good thing for the founders currently operating. That if they find traction among player bases, they find traction among asset sales, uh, etc. It's likely going to be much more uh, genuine than it was last year, because arguably you have a lot mm-hmm. of the specu- there's still a lot of speculation in the space, but arguably a big part of that speculation also has cooled down, and speculators have moved on to moved on to different things. So potentially. Uh, the, the engagement you're seeing for a product is much more authentic, uh, and uh, that's obviously a, a sort of a great signal for us as well when we when we help our portfolio companies and see how they're growing and putting out products to market. Uh, and then, on, on, and then maybe as a final point, sort of to why investment has slowed down and what could potentially be the catalyst for that increasing again. I think there was so much capital deployed in the space over the course of last year and the beginning of this year, uh, without too many big live products already being in the market. So I think many actors are mm-hmm. also in a, in a wait and see mode and see what really comes out of the, the recent funding craze and whether something will pick up. And once, once we have that, those, that handful of first, first companies or first games that really find meaningful traction, scalable metrics, uh, and then they create the benchmarks for Series A and Series B investing in this space and then then hopefully the capital will also flow to those to those seed deals. I wouldn't say that pre seed and seed is super active still, and kind of investing in teams, investing in ideas. Mm-hmm. But immediately, if you're an investor that's mandated to invest according to to scalable metrics, I mean, we don't have those benchmarks. If we look at free to play, it's as established as right. it can be. You're looking at okay, ROAS is this, the paybacks are these. Now it's investable. Let's pump money for UA. Uh, and uh, yeah. but that's not the case when it comes to Web three games. And the companies at the forefront right. are the ones that are going to create not o- those metrics. Not only do we not know what a performance mo- uh, marketing model looks like for Web3 gaming yet, but in many places, the tools and infrastructure and measurement 
products that we would want for me to be able to say to you guys, hey, if I spend $2 in marketing, I'm going to make $10 over five years, right? If I was able to prove that to you, I'm going to get a, um, a yacht full of money, right? To just go get all those players before someone else does. But like right now, I couldn't even bring to you reliable data that said, I spent money on Facebook and I got players into Discord and those players bought my NFT. And then that NFT generated, like, I can't even, I can't necessarily measure all the stuff right now because even that, that pipeline doesn't exist. And so it's a much more, um, I'm guessing, kind of founder experienced, thesis focused, let's invest in people we believe in and less kind of the, um, hey, these people spent a couple million dollars and they proved that uh, if you spend $2 advertising this fashion game, you're going to get $4 out of the other end of it, right? For sure. And I, th I think the whole I think the, um, the whole UA component is, is a really juicy one, and I hope we get to discuss that more in depth in, in, in yeah. another DOF episode. Sorry, Nico, on to you. No, I was going to say that because of this missing UA infrastructure, um, I personally tend to pay more attention. Like, I think there are metrics that are relevant, not necessarily positive unit economics um, indications, but more like, you know, is this a game that people actually come back to to play? Um, is this a game that they open up regularly? Um, is Does this have meaningful, like, day one, day, day seven, day 30 retention? These are the, the numbers I think that are relevant um, because in the end, any like any game in Web3 that monetizes well, we believe will monetize yeah. well because of its you know, inherent fun factor, which is proven by these. Absolutely. These um, I 100% I agree. And there's something I want to unpack in, in what you said, um, in, again, to what I said at the beginning, my research to help me understand how venture funds even work. Um, you guys both mentioned kind of an obligation to deploy. And um, so I once uh, a couple of years ago went to the Berkshire Hathaway investor meeting um, to find out what it was like. And it was deeply weird. It was like going to like PAX or GDC, but there was no organizing principle. It was just like, we love capitalism. Like I, I was in an arena full of people and I'm like, why are you all here? I don't understand what it's for, right? It was deeply bizarre. Um, but one of the few things I took away from it was, you know, uh, an analyst will say the equivalent to Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, you guys have many billions of dollars of cash. Why aren't you investing those billions of dollars? And they just say, we don't see deals we like. And uh, we think the deals are all wrong. And when we see a deal we like, we'll spend the money, right? They can, they have no obligation. There's no one that can force them to spend their money and they can be as patient as they want to be. Um, and if I understand how venture firms generally work, um, if I see a headline that says, um, uh, A16Z raises $600 million, right what that for a for a web3 gaming fund 
Um, what I think that means is that basically uh, some pension fund usually, or some, you know, it's usually a pension fund or a hedge fund. Somebody gave them a set amount of money and they promised over 10 years, we're going to invest all that money on this hypothesis. And at the end of 10 years, all the money you gave us will be deployed. We will then over the next hundred years, give back that capital and the returns that have been invested, right? So you have, is that, is, is that roughly right? What you mean by the obligation to spend? Like you're taking in money and you are promising to invest all of it over a period of time. That if you just sit on it for 10 years, you've actually um, screwed over the, uh, you know, the pipe fitters union of Northern California who is investing their members' money in the hopes of giving them a retirement. Is that, do I roughly have it right? Princip uh, principally, yes. Uh, in reality, those time frames would be a much shorter. Uh, so a typical VC fund would, would have a mandate to, let's say it's a 10-year mandate. The typical setup would be that during the first four years, uh, you, you, in, you invest most of the capital. After those four years, you, you stop investing in new companies. And any remaining, any remaining capital you have in the fund is earmarked for your existing portfolio. And you only invest that uh, in, in your portfolio company's future rounds. After the 10-year period, and there's usually a way to also extend that period, at the 10-year mark, you distribute those returns to the investors. So the investors know that when they get into the fund, after 10 years, they will get their money back based on a certain multiple. When it comes to someone like Berkshire Hathaway, even though they have outside shareholders, they're essentially investing their own money and they're essentially investing proceeds from their existing right. businesses that is on their balance sheet. And, uh, and that's what refers to balance sheet investing and, and why balance sheet investors are able to, to be much more reserved with sort of what they invest in uh, or at least have the option to, to not invest if they don't want to, depending on obviously what their internal goals are, but they don't have this pressure towards outside parties. And this also generally allows them to also be owners in companies for a, generally for a longer time than a, than, a, than a partnership, which in this case, VC funds and private equity funds usually are. So oh, go ahead, Nika. Yeah. And it's, it's always fair to ask the timing question to the VC that you're speaking with, especially if you're in, you know, more advanced talks, because, you know, let, let's say that the fund is in year three or year four of being deployed. You as a founder needs to be able to present an investment case with a potential for exit, you know, within the remaining time frame that that fund has, right? So if you're coming to them and telling them, look, after eight years, um, that, you know, our company is going to be at its peak and that's when we expect to have an exit. Um, that's not good enough for VC, uh, depending on, on the timings there. So this is something to, to keep in mind. Um, and, you know, I have been in your shoes, Ethan. I've done the rounds of the VCs. I've been at mm -hmm. the other side of the table. Um, and it's it's always useful to keep in mind, you know, that we're... We're not people right. that have money of ourselves that we'll give to you, right? So we, we have a job to do. We have these responsibilities. Um, so yeah, that's that's always um, always useful to um, to keep in mind when you have these conversations. Uh, it's you're also selling something, right? right? You're not only asking something. We need to deploy. We need to find the best founders. Um, yeah, and so. so if you're an entrepreneur in the audience and you're thinking like, 
oh man, I have this, you know, I really believe in, in Web3 and I have this great idea and I have a person I've worked with and we're going to build, we were going to build a prototype, but now it's crypto winter. No one will ever give us money. I shouldn't even reach out to Anton and Nico on LinkedIn. Like, no, you should because they have, they have money that needs to be invested, right? And they're just looking for the best teams with the best hypotheses to put that money into. And so whether it's a bull market or a bear market, um, the opportunity is still there. And the question is whether you have the story, the capability, the track record, you know, the blind luck to, um, uh, to get it, I guess. Um, what, speaking of, I mean, like, what are you looking for in a game team right now? Has it, has it changed now that we're in crypto winter? Is it, a, it's, I mean, I kind of know, I think I know the answer. Um, cause you guys are very, you know, very thoughtful and your firms are very thoughtful and well-spoken and, uh, don't, you know, I don't think you were chasing the, the, the FOMO, but, um, uh, what are you looking for in a game and a team and a founder, you know, set of founders? What's important for them to have when they're seeking pre-seed, seed, early stage investing? I can give a, f a few sound bites here that, that might be useful. Um, out of our experience, uh, one thing you said is a founder or a set of founders. So out of our experience, teams with co-founders, so multiple founders, um, do significantly better than solo founders. So that's always something that we prefer um to have you know a a more you know business oriented person a product oriented person a te te uh, like a technical person um within one founding team so that's something that we we like to see um we also really like to see um like second or like not first time founders so the best i think that statistically the best predictor for success in a startup is whether mm -hmm. you've actually done it before um, and that goes up exponentially if you've done it before successfully. And so being a VC that has a strong reputation means that we get to be kind of picky when it comes to the, the people that we partner with. Um, and so we, and, and you know, I'm sure it's the same thing for, for Play Ventures. We um, tend to be quite um, selective when it comes to the, the teams that we back. But once we find teams that we believe have the capability and the potential to do this, you know, these, these stellar A-list teams, um, and they're chasing a market opportunity that we believe in, um, that's then when we are happy to, uh, to go all out and, and help them as, as much as we can. Yeah, I would, I, I would second the comment on the, on the team. I, I know it gets like repeated a lot across different industries in venture, that, but it would be at, at, the, at the stage we're investing in Bitcraft too, it's, it's, really a, it's really all about the team at that point. Uh, or, I mean, we do invest in teams that only have a pitch deck. Uh, some might have a prototype. Some might already have some early metrics, uh, and and they all they all um, are a part of that of that investment decision. And and um, I think I would second the comment on experience. There's a lot. If you're a first-time founder that hasn't built games before, uh, there's a lot of unknown unknowns you're going to be dealing with, uh, and and it's almost like the money you're gonna we 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 do like to mitigate the risk of the money we invest goes to just learning all of the mistakes that some experienced founder has already gone through and the, the mistakes they already mm -hmm. understand and nobody and i mean no one knows the recipe to a fun game uh and and the way for us to maximize that 
is uh, the maximize the chances of, of, of success and that be, that game becoming fun and becoming reality is is, is the bank on success uh, experience and um and that's not but but obviously the the downside of, of of investing in this let's say it's a it's a team that's been in in gaming working very similar games for the past 10 years and they're very experienced and successful within that domain naturally it also creates a kind of a cage also in thinking uh, and, and especially when you're moving to something mm-hmm. new that's uh, web3 and crypto and, and how you're going to implement that so so we've we've seen both here that that there is a certain pride which is difficult to come over that someone comes in and tells you okay but this is the new way to how we're going to do it whereas they've been perfecting their own way of doing it for the past 10 years and suddenly you would have to learn something new it's not super easy for everyone to swallow so so definitely even with these experienced teams you have to find this um and I think the team, it's also important for the teams to convey uh, that, that there is, um, now the word escapes me, but um, but a certain humility also in terms of how they approach the market. Oh, yeah. And, and I would say humbleness. that we do see... Something I'm super great at. I'm the best <laughs> at humbleness. <laughs> that's good, Ethan. That's good, Ethan. It's going gonna, it's gonna to play in favor for you. But, um, and also just adding... Yeah. That, I, and also, no way I, that soundbite's going to bite me in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but luckily there's always an edit button, uh, and, and there are editors that deal with. Right. But but to Nico's comment, I I, I can't emphasize mm. enough that that should, I would say that we feel strongly also about teams versus solo founders. There's a couple of key pillars in the company that being just managing the business, uh, managing the product, managing the technology, uh, and um, if you as a sole founder are going to be the last man standing regarding all of those different functions uh it's um <clears throat> it's tough and um i think also from the entrepreneurial journeys i've seen that that sort of the the hard times which are ine- inevitable in a startup are are much more bearable when there's someone to kind of share those moments with and the early employees are they're not going to be quite the same thing as your co-founders uh, in that situation uh, plus, it's also a major key man risk for any investor that sort of the only person that this company and this investment is based on uh, might leave the company at some point. Uh, so so teams right. teams have which are generally an easier time conveying investors, because at the end of the day, at the at the stage we're investing, it's about finding that personal chemistry. It's about conveying, convincing that investor that you're able to pull this off. If you're exper- if you're an experienced team. You can, it, arguably, you can rely more on, on the idea and the team you have put together and, and, and the story that we've done this, now we're going to add, now we're going to include this uh, because we know it too and we're going to make this. If you're a less experienced team, and, by, and because I, I, don't, I, I don't want to sound sort of discouraging towards younger founders, so I, I, what we've seen working is that like the supervisionary young founders uh, also have sort of a stake to claim here, but consider surrounding yourself with more experienced people who kind of know how to pull the, how to sort of deal with the day-to-day stuff, but you're the person that's keeping the vision together uh, and sort of pushing that team going forward because there's tremendous energy also with with some of these founders. Whether the more inexperienced you are and and the less you have to show from previous accomplishments, I would argue the more important comes what traction you have. And um, because, as, as as Nico said, you have to remember you're competing against those really experienced teams. How are you? You have to keep in mind that how am I going to st- stand out 
when there are X riot teams and X blizzard teams raising funding from the same investors. Right. And uh, the only way to do that is, is that you have something to show. You have something to show that you're able to pull it off. Uh, and um, there are arguably within Web3 more lower threshold ways of showing traction, building communities, building traction, socials, doing successful sa- asset sales in an innovative way. Uh, not saying it's kind of a key to, not, not saying those are the keys to the kingdom, but but try to think about all the ways you can show existing traction and that there is there is proof to your vision and what you're pitching to the investor. Because at the end of the day, you're competing with other other companies for that same capital. And each company comes from a different starting point. Right. How, how do you prove to somebody that you're capable of doing the job that you say you're going to do? Um, this has been uh, a really uh, fantastic, informative conversation, and, and we're coming to the end. And I... I feel like I got through like three of, of 15 questions I prepared. So we're going to have to have a couple. Part two, in, part two one. incoming. Um, incoming. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I want to close on this question. Let's, let's assume, let's imagine that you're one of these entrepreneurs and you're lucky enough to get the recipe right and land um, your early stage funding. What can you then do to make yourself a great partner to your investors? What do you like to see uh, from the founders, from the portfolio companies that you back and that you're working with, like how do, how do they prove that um, uh, that they were a great choice and a, a, a team and company worth believing in and, and, and building with? Um, from my end, I think when you're fundraising, you usually set yourself milestones that you want to achieve with the current round, and once you reach those milestones, you usually are going to need and next round to get more capital to you know grow even in, even further and so um i think executing on these milestones is key mm-hmm. right you make promises keep to them and, and execute i think that's that's one open communication is also very important um you know things go wrong things always go wrong vc funds realize this um they're also kind of used to it so um you know reach out and 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 be like it's it's better to be over communicative communicative than under communicative um and additionally i think one of the interesting things that is happening specifically at the intersection of web3 and games is that there is no playbook which means that everyone's actually like yeah. trying to figure all of this shit out right one of the advantages that we have is every day we have conversations with ambitious founders that have a great idea and many of these conversations are you know, not great, but some of them are, you know, have some, some, some truth or some give, give us some insights. And, you know, I think we're in the privileged position of getting pitched ideas and new ways of using this new technology to this, you know, to games as a whole. Um, and I think, you know, we, we've, we've like I've and, and me and the rest of the crypto team have been able to give strong insights to the, the teams we partner with. Um, so, you know, re- regular catch-ups are also um, very useful for, you know, in both directions. Yeah, 100% what Nico said, and I'm just going to underline the one that I, I think is the most important. And this goes this goes out to all of the VC-backed and, and yet to yet to become VC-backed founders out there that sort of um, when you're in that investor-company relationship, don't don't sugarcoat uh, your updates to the investor. Um, it's um, mm-hmm. the only way to help is, is is to really know what's going on with the company, what the challenges are, what what what's what's not working as intended. Why isn't it working as intended? 
and then you can sit down and chat about it uh, so it doesn't the investor doesn't want to know about it half half a year afterwards but but imme- imme- personally at least immediately when the problem arises i would like to know about it so because that's the that's the, the best way for for us to help and the best way to mitigate the problem going forward so so definitely the, the honesty part is, uh, is i think a, a mm-hmm. big thing and then the recipe for for a big company because um these investor company relationships tend to last longer than the average marriage nowadays in the west at least uh so um <laughs> you really you <laughs> really want to like you really want to I like those I'll... people you work with yeah i'll, I'll kind of close there that's a great like it is a marriage and it's the the uh the same things that make for a great personal relationship sound like they make for a great investing uh relationship which is uh be true to your word follow through be honest and transparent in your communication don't hide things ask for help right treat it like a partnership yeah it's it's a people's business at and the end of the lie. day and uh and follow through on what you say you're going to do you know if my wife heard me say all those things, she'd be like, wow, you could be a 200% better husband than you're being right now. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Anton, Nico, I know this was a long time to get scheduled. Uh, Thank you so much. This has been a pure delight for me. And I'm sure that everybody in the audience had a great time uh, learning uh, more about what it's like inside a VC firm, a gaming VC firm with us today. Thanks Mm -hmm. so much.